0: Welcome to the LU Moment. Thanks for listening. I'm Shelley Vitanza, the Director of Public Affairs at Lamar University. Each week we showcase the great events, activities, programs, projects, and people at Lamar University. And boy, do I have a treat for you today. You know, yesterday was the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 mission that put a man on the moon, NASA. They've been celebrating this milestone throughout the month. In fact, I was there locally uh, last week just in the area, and they are celebrating big when you're down in uh, Clear Lake, NASA Bay, all over Houston. And and Lamar is celebrating, too. We're joining in that celebration because come to find out, and thanks to my guests today uh, who let me know, there were some Lamar University engineers who played critical roles in that historic mission to Mars, a few weeks ago, I got a note from Dr. Brendan Gillis. He's assistant professor of history at Lamar University and assistant director of the Center of History and Culture of Southeast Texas and the Upper Gulf Coast. And he said, "You know, we had to contact some of the engineers who were involved in the Apollo mission at NASA." And he said, "You know, we need to find out where they are and, and what their involvement was, and and we need to let people know that Lamar University played a role in putting a man on the moon." So Dr. Gillis is with us today. And um, you've, you've had a chance. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Now, um, you, you've had a chance to kind of do some research and even talk to some of these engineers uh, who were involved in uh, the mission to Mars 50 years ago. And before we, before we get to that, give us a little bit of your background and kind of what your specialty is and how long you've been at Lamar.
1: Um, great, yeah. So I am... Uh, fairly new to Lamar. Uh, I started, um, about two weeks before Hurricane Harvey, um, which was a warm and wet welcome to the, the region. Um, but, uh, I've taught at a number of different universities, um, before Lamar. Um, I'm actually, believe it or not, an expert in legal history and I focus mostly, uh, on 18th century Britain and the British Empire. Um, but, uh, because I also teach history at Lamar, Um, and my interest in teaching is always, always privileged local connections and, um, you know, regional aspects of national and international stories. Um, I got involved with the Center for History and Culture at Lamar, and we do a lot of programming that supports people who are Trying to better understand Southeast Texas, the Gulf Coast, um, and how vital it's been to the history of the United States, to the history of North America, and and really the history of the world.
0: Right, right, and and this Apollo Eleven and its its um, mission to the moon. Um, is, is a prime example of that, of how our area was, and, and people from this area, were critical to, um, you know, the, the world, history of the world.
1: Yeah, it's, it's no accident that Houston calls itself Space City. Right. Um, most people, I think, are aware of the Johnson Space Center. Um, they think of, of Houston, we have a problem. They think of right. Texas when they imagine NASA, um, but one of the incredible things is, in, in part because of that, um, but also in part because of great public universities in Texas. Um, you know, of the approximately two hundred thousand people who worked in, in even the most minor capacity towards the Apollo program, many, many of them were based in our area. Um, and many up-and-coming engineers from Southeast Texas, the the parts of the country served by Lamar University, um, were hired and had a remarkable opportunity to be part of this incredible human accomplishment.
0: So talk to us, Dr. Gillis, set the stage for the 60s, and what was the charge that... Um, the, it started with the Kennedy administration, uh, set forth for for NASA.
1: Yeah, um, so really, uh, when President Kennedy gave a speech on September 12, 1962, uh, at Rice University, promising that the United States was going to put a man on moon within the decade by the end of the 1960s (laughs) you know a lot of people sort of laughed you know it was a really ambitious program um it was caught up in the politics of the cold war the united states wanted to beat
0: russia Russia yeah yeah. Um,
1: but kennedy also saw um the space race um space as a place that russia and the united states might actually be able to work together Mm. Um, and so he issued a challenge. He said, we're going to do this, um, not because it's hard, or not because it's easy, but because it's hard, because Mm -hmm. we're going to prove to the world what we're capable of. Um, And one of the remarkable things uh, that's come through in all of the interviews that I've read or conducted with Lamar grads who are part of this, they all heard that charge. And they believed in it, and that really motivated them. You know, When they were pulling the all-night shifts and working all these long hours, they were thinking about being part of this
0: huge, mm. ambitious goal. Mm-hmm. So who have you talked to? And, and, and tell us what they did.
1: Um, well, uh, I've had a chance to talk to a handful of people. Um, there are certainly many Lamar grads who had a role in aerospace Um, and at NASA over the years. Um, But if we go back to Apollo 11 itself, um, there's about a half dozen engineers whose contributions stand out. Um, I had the opportunity to um, read an oral interview that was conducted with Lamar Grad Rod Lowe, um, and his story of Apollo 11, I think, is really fascinating um, because, you know, he told an interviewer um, at NASA maybe back in 2009, I think, you know, I don't really remember Apollo 11 that much. When the moon landing happened, I was just there watching as a spectator, um, and I went for a long leisurely lunch and then came back. And it was only then um, <laughs> that I realized how crazy what we were doing was. Right. Um, wow! And that's interesting <laughs> because, you know, he was Um, heavily involved in the operation of the command module, Mm -hmm. the portion of the Apollo spacecraft that was responsible for getting the astronauts from the Earth to the moon. Right. And the command module had already proven itself back in 1968. His part was done. Yeah. um, Apollo 8 and Apollo 10 had both successfully gotten from the Earth to the moon. Um, And he'd had a really high uh, pressure responsibility on Apollo 8. He was actually in mission control, monitoring the communication systems, the Mm. life support systems, and, uh, the electrical systems that Mm -hmm. kept the spacecraft operating. And he, you know, he remembers like, from my perspective, Apollo 8 was the challenge. And once we'd done it twice, Apollo 11 was a walk, uh, in the park. Um, He didn't realize until he was actually watching Neil Armstrong step onto Mm -hmm. the moon Mm -hmm. from the Johnson Space Center. Oh, yeah. We also had to get people from lunar orbit down to the surface of the moon. And then we also had to get people out of the spacecraft and onto the moon's surface. You know, it's a really um, difficult environment for life.
0: Right. And
1: all of these engineers were doing the same Kind of level of incredible challenges. Everything had to work. You know, there wasn't just one moonshot; it was a half dozen moonshots.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you and I had um, an interesting conversation with Scott Milliken, and and you know, there were a couple. There were so many takeaways from that. One of the things that um, I thought was fascinating was that he said the average age of those working on Apollo Eleven was twenty six. And he was 27 at the time, and he said, "You know, the number one, um, you know, most critical factor was the spacecraft, and number two was the space suit, which which speaks to what you're what you're talking about. You know, the environment on the moon is is not really f- for for human life, and so the suit was was critical, and that's what he was involved in. What was your takeaway from visiting with him?
1: Yeah, um, Scott Milliken has some really Fascinating stories. Um, over the life of the Apollo program, he was one of a handful of engineers who actually trained astronauts for their work on the lunar surface. So he worked um, with every single Apollo astronaut at some time or another to train them how to put on and take off their spacesuits, um, how to work through all of the complicated procedures of uh, uh, keeping themselves alive, accomplishing their mission on the lunar surface. Um, and, you know, he was saying, from his perspective, one of the biggest challenges was trying to get um, these guys to put on and take off spacesuits right. <laughs> in the lunar module, yeah. which is, you know, this incredibly cramped space. Right. And it never occurred to me that this would be an issue, that there had to be a very precise procedure well because it's um, all connected too. It's, it's not
0: easy to get in and out of in addition to getting into it in a small space right
1: yeah so they they're complicated pieces of equipment mm-hmm. and you know if they don't seal properly
0: mm-hmm. you know, they
1: either can't go out onto the moon or um, or they die right um, you know so there's a lot of pressure um, and I, I heard a similar story from um, Chuck Royston um, who was an engineer with a very different set of responsibilities. You know, he too remembered, hey, this is a bunch of 20-year-olds who were, you know, kind of cocky and young and dedicated. Um, They didn't even have time to think about how complicated what they were doing actually was. Um, And and Chuck Royston, you know, his memory of Apollo 11 is really interesting because he was a part of a team of about 30 or 40 engineers um, who worked around the clock whenever there was a spacecraft um, uh, on a mission just to monitor constantly the communication feed, mm-hmm. um, mm. because they, they needed to model the spacecraft at every single possible point in its entire journey, just because if they lost communication contact, that could be it. it that was the right. They could go off course, um, or they could never reestablish contact, and he was so focused. He was on shifts during the moon landing, just making sure that the complicated communication systems that allowed for live audio and live video feed from the surface of the moon um, were aligned properly. You know, they required constant supervision. He didn't have time to watch the moon landing. He was watching the equipment that allowed the feed to reach Earth.
0: Be maintained. Um, Again, I
1: hadn't thought very much about how incredible it is that back in the 60s they were broadcasting live video from the surface of the moon
0: right yeah back in the 60s that is incredible i hadn't thought about that either it's uh today of course we'd all have it downloaded onto our social media immediately but back then we yeah we didn't have that much technology um and real quickly we've only got just a few minutes there were two brothers that also worked for nasa the harasaki brothers
1: Ah uh, yes, um, and I'll, I'll focus on John Hirosaki because his story I think is 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 one of the most remarkable um, of a Lamar grad in Apollo eleven so um, the Hirosaki family is one of a handful of Japanese families that have lived in Southeast Texas for quite a while they They came over to help try and teach rice production um, and and as a result of their efforts helped kickstart. The Texas rice industry, um, and John Hirosaki grew up, you know, doing chores, working on his family's rice farm outside of Vider. Wow! Um, and you know, he knew that if he worked hard, he could get into school at a place like Lamar. Um, he was an engineer. Um, he got his engineering degree um, in mechanical engineering, um, and channeled that into a job at NASA. Um, and his story gets really fascinating in the lead up to the mission because he was on the team whose job it was to go out and rescue the Apollo 11 spacecraft once it got back to earth again yes. so much easier than getting to the moon but they had to you know pinpoint the location of the landing right. and go out get these people and and most importantly um, they had a clear mission from the National Science Foundation not to expose life on earth to any contamination from the moon right
0: no contamination yeah
1: they didn't think there was going to be contamination but on the off chance there was you know some disease right. or some virus that could destroy life they didn't want to be responsible um so they designed these complicated systems to keep the astronauts and the spacecraft in quarantine um, until they could make sure um, that, that they weren't posing a danger. And Hirosaki um, was one of four engineers who volunteered to risk his life and be responsible for handling the spacecraft, handling lunar material inside of quarantine. Unbelievable! Um, so if there was a space plague, he was going to die.
0: He was going to get um, And it.
1: Mm. they drew straws. And he lost.
0: They literally drew straws to see who was going to have to do that. Wow.
1: Yeah. Um, And so he ended up um, being the first person to enter the Apollo 11 spacecraft once it splashed down in the Pacific. Mm. Um, He was the first person to handle lunar material as it was exposed to Earth's atmosphere He said it smelled like July 4th fireworks. (laughs) Really? um, As it oxidized or or, or, um, reacted with the atmosphere. And then he spent 21 days with the crew of Apollo 11 after they immediately returned, um, playing cards, telling jokes, and doing really important work
0: yeah Um, historic work work that uh, yeah that had had an impact on on the entire world dr gillis we could talk forever and ever and ever you've got so many great stories we need to have you back regularly because i know this is just something you focused on the the last month or so uh, as we got closer to the 50th anniversary of the apollo 11 and the um, space exploration of the moon but we've got we're out of time and uh, we appreciate you
1: Well, again, thanks so much for having me on. Um, It was a pleasure to chat with you.
0: Very good. Hey, thanks for listening to the LU Moment. I'm Shelley Vitanza, the Director of Public Affairs at Lamar University, the pride of Southeast Texas.